Hey there, it's Curious City editor Alexandra Solomon here with some good news. We spent the last couple of months reimagining the show, trying out some new ways to answer your questions, and the wait is over. We're ready to let you hear what we've been up to. So here it is. Hey, 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 hey. Can you, can you just let her finish? Can you just let her do her own poster? Why aren't you dressed? Like a lot of families, my kids are going to school remotely this fall. Can you go, is your computer on? Yes. Instead of getting the kids off to school, I've been getting them onto Google Meet. I, we cannot shop for bedroom furniture now. I need you to get dressed. No, I thought she only graded on the words that you, the, the spelling words that were your spelling words. You have to spell everything right. <laughs> Do you think I still got an A from that? Um... My sixth grader has a sign up on the bedroom door. It reads, welcome to Isabella's office space. Please knock to ensure she's not unmuted. And I try to respect her privacy, but sometimes that can be really hard to do. Why are you watching? What are you watching? I'm not watching you do. Leave me alone. At times it's been really stressful but it's also been nice to have them around all day, and I'm gonna miss them when they go back to school in person. Whenever that might be. (laughs) Here at Curious City, we're still committed to answering your questions about Chicago and the region. But in this episode, we're collaborating with our audience a little differently. We've been hearing from a lot of you about how the school year is going. This year is like adrenaline on 100. Trying to juggle like working and watching kids and the kids just like when they want something, they want it right that exact second. So it's like crazy. I'm just taking it one day at a time. That's the best I can do. The teachers are super committed. Um, My child's learning a whole lot. I like the fact that we can easily grab a snack or take a drink of water during remote learning. I formed a pod with another family. Uh, They have three kids the same exact age as ours. You know, it's not ideal, but everybody has gotten used to it, I think, at this point. So in today's episode, we'll be hearing from two education reporters about this most unusual school year. And later, we lighten the mood with a haiku contest. For months now, WBEZ's education team has been reporting on what the school year's been like, with so many students learning remotely and a lot of uncertainty about when things might change. And it's not just the kids who've been affected, but also entire families, families that are also dealing with all sorts of other hardships related to the pandemic, unemployment, isolation, illness. Reporter Sarah Karp has been following one of those families, a Mexican-American family living in Chicago's Little Village neighborhood. And she spent a lot of time with a woman named Saria Camarillo, who has two young sons. They're four and six years old. Earlier this spring, Saria's father died of COVID. Then her mother got sick, her sister, and then she got COVID too. From there, she stopped working for one, to take care of her two young sons, but also because she, she was sick. Here's Saria. Right now with this, like, I'm not working. I had told my husband, like, I would look for another job, but he's like, no, it's better if you stay with the kids and I'll just look for another job. 
he's used to working two jobs, but with the pandemic, they had to close down the restaurants. So right now he's just going to one. And then her mother is not working as much as she used to. So of the four incomes that were coming between those adults, there's now only one income. We actually, we had some um, money saved up. So we went through that money through the pandemic, but now it's like gone. So we do have to get back into financial stuff. So this family has been through a lot. Yeah, wow. That is a lot. So how, how are the kids doing with school? So there are two boys. One is Noah, who's six, and he's in the first grade. And then there's Isaac, who's four, and he's in pre-K. And for Isaac, he's having a really hard time. One thing that stood out to me is that when I was watching the mother, Saria, trying to get him to participate in remote learning, when his mother turned on his iPad, this was his reaction. The little boy was literally running from the iPad, like onto the bed, into the corner. Isaac, sit down. His mother was exasperated and tried to grab him and put him in front of the class, but he wasn't really having it. And she kept saying to him, like, this is school, this is school. And, you know, the way he was looking at it is that was just a boring movie that she was trying to get him to watch or something like that. And, you know, what, what makes this even harder is that this family is... Like so many families out there, they're, they're really worried about their kids falling behind. Surya told me that she spent a lot of time with Noah when he was little, doing numbers with him and his alphabet and teaching him how to read. Yeah, he's a little bit advanced than the kids. Um, the teacher has told me from last year that he was a year ahead. And then comes this pandemic and it's created, you know, this this huge obstacle for the family and you know, they, they don't want this to stop their kids or to make any barrier for them, but it's just really, really hard to continue remote learning. Yeah. I know it's not the same. Sometimes he doesn't want to do work, and how am I going to... And I know if he's school, he's going to do it. Right. And with me, like, sometimes he doesn't. He gets frustrated. He has to be there till 3. Yeah. So it's all day he's It's all day. They give him a break at 12.30 to 1.30. And then he goes back to on the computer. The thing about the six-year-old Noah is that he is trying. He sits in front of the computer. He participates in class. And he does try to get the attention of the teacher. You know, one thing I notice is that sometimes he'll be, you know, raising his little hand and trying to make contact with the teacher. But she's got a lot of kids in her class, so she doesn't always call on him. And he gets sort of frustrated. Noah, can we go to your two sentences, please? When I get colder, I will... Sweater, boots, and pants. Very nice. As time has gone on, he seems a little less into it. And, you know, there is one time when his mom let him, like, play with some action figures when he was getting a little tuned out so that, he, you know, he was still in front of the computer, but she let him, you know, play with his action figures, which, you know, I thought was a fair compromise, right? So, yeah, for sure. You know, and I, I, I think they would prefer to have their kids in school But when I was spending time with them and I asked them if they would send their kids back to in-person learning, if the school system opened the doors, they they were like, no, not yet. They don't feel safe. You know, this is a family whose life has been really, really changed because of the pandemic, and they just don't want to risk anybody else getting sick. That's why I say, like, it's better if they go to school, but it's not safe right now. Yeah. And this was a theme that I heard among the people I talked to in the neighborhood. No one is saying that they want to go back to school in person. 
Little Village has been hit really hard by COVID. COVID is is everywhere around them. When I was reporting, I could really feel the impact of it. Just about everyone that I knew or talked to either knew somebody who had COVID, and a lot of people knew somebody who passed away from COVID. You can really feel it. One thing about it is that in the parking lot of a school right near the school where these kids go to, they have a testing site. And in August, there was very few people coming through. But, you know, in the fall, you're starting to see many, many cars, like long lines, blocks of cars of people getting tested. You can see the positivity rates are climbing and climbing. So Saria and her family, they're seeing all of this. How are they doing? Well, one thing I know is that they're really frustrated um, by the, the lack of support that they've been given. Like, not everyone in the household has documents. And so there's a lot of challenges in accessing resources because of that. They're telling me that they've applied for food stamps and haven't gotten them. They've applied for assistance with the gas bill and has, haven't gotten it. They do go to Chicago Public Schools and pick up um, the free meals that the school district offers. Mm-hmm. You know, they said that the food isn't so great. It's like hot dogs and chicken nuggets, but the kids will eat them. And that does help when they're out of food. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a struggle. I mean, they say every month they really want to pay their rent. They're very scared that if they don't pay their rent, they would become homeless. But they said that the landlord has been very understanding so far. Yeah, she has told us, like, if we don't have the rent, just to let her know. But we tried to give her the rent. We had some savings, and we were paying with that. But right now, yeah, we we did fall behind a few days, but we do give it to her. So the safety net for a family like this is very tenuous, to say the least. Some people I've talked to say, Well, don't worry so much about learning loss because everyone's going to be in the same boat in that everyone has not been in school regularly since March. But this family is not in the same boat as an affluent family who has not lost any family members to the pandemic or income over this time. Uh You know, in, in Chicago Public Schools, Latino students have been the shining stars of our school system. They've helped lift up our graduation rates and our test scores. But if the city and school system doesn't pay attention to what happened to them over this pandemic, then I think some of the gains of the entire school system will be lost. And even more importantly, the futures of some of these kids will not be as bright if they do not get the support and help that they need. That was reporter Sarah Karp, who's been following Saria Camarillo and her family in Little Village as they cope with a really difficult school year. You know who else is struggling? Teachers. They've had to learn to teach in a completely new way, while still finding ways to connect with their students over a screen. And it seems like it's taken a toll. In a recent survey of educators in Illinois, one out of three said they were considering leaving the profession majority said they felt more burned out than usual. Jessica Vega knows what that's like. She's a special education teacher at Piccolo Elementary, a Chicago public school on the city's northwest side. Reporter Adriana Cardona-Magigad has been following her since the start of the school year. She met Jessica over the summer. I met her because uh, she was 
helping a family at her school with the funeral arrangements uh, of one of their members uh, who had recently died of COVID-19. And she uh, was spending her summer or part of her summer helping the family pretty much with the, the funeral home, trying to get all the paperwork done. Things that this family, they were from Guatemala, didn't really understand how to, how to do, and she stepped in and helped them. Geez, wow, I've planned a funeral. It's a lot of work. It's really hard. It's certainly not how I think I'd want to spend my summer vacation. Um, it sounds like she's really the kind of teacher who goes you know, above and beyond the classroom. Yeah, exactly. Jessica is exactly the kind of teacher that the school district doesn't want to lose. She's bilingual. She teaches special education. There is a shortage of those teachers. And she's really dedicated to her students. I don't want to say, like, it's giving back to the community because I feel like that's very much like a savior complex type of thing. Mm -hmm. But I do enjoy working with people and I really enjoy working with kids and helping them as much as possible. And I realized that one of the best ways to help other people, especially kids, is in the classroom. But since the pandemic, she isn't in the classroom. She's teaching remotely from her basement. This is my desk. This is it. All of my books and materials, curriculum, my makeshift <laughs> laptop stand with the tissue box. Um, I put up the shower curtain to block out distractions. She works with eight students who have some type of learning disability, including understanding patterns in math and challenges, recognizing sound in reading. Um, they're all eighth graders, and each day, most of them are expected to spend nearly four hours in real-time online instruction and more than two hours of learning activities that she has to plan for them. The screen time, it is insane. The screen time is insane. I mean, as a teacher, I'm used to being up on my feet, walking around. We need more than just five-minute breaks sometimes. But, you know, the expectation is that we're in front of a screen. So there we are. So Vega has said that a few things have worked for her as she tries to cope with the stress. Simple things like taking her dog on a walk or maybe going to the school for a couple of days a week. She also joined two book clubs that gives her time to like kind of like have conversations with her friends and read books that she's interested in um, and mainly like she's trying not to work after school hours because otherwise I will spend like 10 12 14 hours a day doing everything and if I do that I don't think I would last that much the month of October, she says, was particularly hard. September was still kind of an experiment. But in October, she realized that that experiment, remote learning, was not ending anytime soon. October this year has been frustrating in the sense that we've been doing it for like a month. And it still feels like we've never done this before sometimes, which is really frustrating. You, it's, it's, I think that's just it. It's coping with the frustration as like... What am I doing? Am I not doing enough? On top of that, this is Jessica's third year teaching, which is a crucial time. If you're a young teacher, this is when you're more likely to quit. And with remote learning, the thought has crossed Jessica's mind. So if I catch myself around that path now, I just told myself like, hey, October is going to be over soon <laughs> and we're going to figure it out. Let's take it one day at a time. 
Yeah, so then what, what keeps her from quitting? Well, teaching is her calling. She's a product of CPS, and you got to understand that Piccolo Elementary is mostly Latino and Black, and 34% of students uh, speak limited English. Many of those students come from immigrant families. Her parents are from Mexico, and although she says they gave her a pretty solid foundation, she understands the challenges that these immigrant families face uh, associated with language, getting used to a new culture, navigating new systems. And most important, uh, she loves being there for, for the students in general. And she gets really excited when she sees them making progress. This happened yesterday where one of my students got the answer. I was like, yes, like, like I, did, I twirled in my chair and I was like, yes. And then they put like an LOL, okay. And like that was, okay, I'll take that. Like, great, yeah. let's move on then, yes. Reporter Adriana Cardona-Magigad will be keeping up with Jessica Vega as the school year continues, and she'll keep us posted on how things are going. Earlier in the episode, we also heard from Ashley McCall, Rachel Winkleman, Michael Rodriguez, Ashley Howard, Adana Zamat, Kanako Morikawa, and Emily Beagle, who told us about their school year so far. Next week, we'll hear how it's going for a pair of high school juniors and some college freshmen. But first, a Curious City haiku contest. Digital producer Mackenzie Crossan and audio producer Jesse Dukes have the details. That's next. Hey, I'm Curious City digital producer Mackenzie Crossan. So let's see here, a global pandemic, mass protests, wildfires, millions of people out of work, a presidential impeachment, a presidential election. Um, Mackenzie. Oh, hey, Jesse. Uh, that's audio producer emeritus Jesse Dukes. Thank you. Um, you want to say where you're going with all this? I'm just saying it's been quite the year and it's not even over yet. So we're wondering, how is 2020 sitting with you, Curious City listeners? And we have a creative way for you to share your thoughts. Tell him, Jesse. Okay, so you remember Michael Rodriguez, right? Yeah, yeah. He um, is a teacher that I spoke with about remote learning. Yeah, so he was a teacher and he was talking about this year and I was editing his tape and I realized he had this phrase describing 2020 that was just, just a brilliant encapsulation of the year. So let's listen to that. I just kind of assume things are going to get worse, <laughs> and hopefully I'm wrong. And I was like, wow, that, that is a wonderful description of the year 2020, um, and it's in fact poetry. If you give it line breaks, it is a haiku. And in case you didn't hear it, listen to this. I just kind of assume things are going to get worse, <laughs> and... Hopefully I'm wrong. And ever since you pointed this out, we've been coming up with our own 2020 haikus at Curious City. Like this one that audio producer Steven Jackson wrote about living his life at home. Roasting vegetables, eating roasted vegetables, roasting vegetables. (laughs) 
I, I suddenly understand Steven's home life way better than I did before. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Uh, I came up with one that's maybe a little more contemplative, also very much about being home. We were sent home. The trees in my window grew green leaves, now brown and yellow. Wow. I'm literally looking at trees at my window that are brown and yellow. <laughs> and they were green at one point, remember? <laughs> and they were green. I remember those days. That haiku, it kind of gets at what I like about haikus, which is like there are these concentrated doses of pure observation, like looking out your window, right? Yeah. And at a time when a lot of people are feeling overwhelmed and stressed out, it feels like a good way to slow down and reflect a little. Totally. And in light of that, we're putting on a 2020 haiku contest. Send us your haikus about 2020. We'll share our favorites along the way, and you, the audience, get to vote on your favorite. We'll put the winner on the radio and the podcast for everybody to hear. Haikus usually have three lines and about 17 syllables total, but that's not a hard rule. Yeah, and a lot of the time they're about nature, but they definitely don't have to be. And they often focus on a single moment, you know, something that might suggest a deeper meaning. Right. So basically, don't worry about the rules. Just let out your feelings about 2020 and turn them into poetry and send them to us. We're open to all kinds of haikus, funny, reflective, bleak. Send us a message or tag us on Twitter or email us at CuriousCity at WBEZ.org. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation. I'm Jesse Dukes. And I'm Mackenzie Crossan. Send us a haiku, Curious Citizens. <laughs>